Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by Fenley Road Sports. Again, my name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. We both just got done watching our hometown Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Boston Celtics for the first game in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And you guessed it, we're going to be talking about the NBA playoffs today. Uh, By the time this podcast gets up, probably the game ones will all be done for all the teams in play. Chris, uh, what do you think about this first round? Well, I think, like every year, there are a lot of series that just aren't worth the time. And yeah. I think that there are at least four this year. Actually, four. Not at least four. There aren't more than four because the West is really strong. But just glossing over a couple of them, I think the Bulls are going to handle the Bucks in about five games. Yep. I think the Cavs are going to handle the Celtics. I predict a sweep there. The two most intriguing of the bad series, I think, are the Warriors and the Pelicans and the Hawks and the Nets. I think both the Warriors and the Hawks will advance, but I got both of those series going to six because I do think the Pelicans and the Nets will pose some challenges for them. Not so much with the... I'm not saying that they're going to, like, struggle, but I do think that those two teams are good enough and match up well enough to take a couple games from them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you and I both agree that Anthony Davis is arguably the best player in the league this year. So anytime you go up against the best player in the game, you're going to give the team trouble. Fortunately, the Warriors are just so good that they're going to overcome that. And then the Nets are just, it's puzzling why they were so bad this year, considering the talent and the post play that they have. They have Darren Williams. It is kind of strange that they they limped into the eighth seed. So yeah, I could definitely see them winning a game or two in that first round. Yeah, and I just think that teams with size are going to pose problems for the Hawks. And I don't think the Hawks have a real deep post outside of Al Horford. So I think yeah. that teams that can kind of bash it in the in the post, like Lopez can, Brook Lopez. I think they're going to give them trouble. I I think Indiana, who didn't make the playoffs, would have given them more trouble because of the Paul George X factor. They'd have that defense plus a guy who can really take over a game at a position that Atlanta, I think, is weakest at. So the Hawks definitely catch a break there. I don't think the Nets are as talented as the Pacers, even though they made the playoffs. I don't think they're as consistent. But I do think they'll give them some trouble. So I do think the Hawks will win. But I think it'll be a a six-game series. I don't think it'll just be a a quick one. And like you said, with Anthony Davis, the best player in the game, at least this year, and certainly trending that way uh, legitimately, I I think that he's good enough to give them two games, probably the two home games in the middle there. That's usually how it goes down. But I think the Warriors will ultimately win the series. Yeah, definitely. And just to to wrap up, the Hawks, that combination of Millsap and Horford are really good together in terms of efficiency, but the one weakness they have together is rebounding. They're both below average rebounders, and so that, I think, plays into your big men give the Hawks trouble factor. So, yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you. So let's talk about the the four games that we do like, and how about we stay in the Eastern Conference for the only matchup that's going to be interesting, and that's the four versus five Toronto Raptors versus Wizards. What do you like about that? Well, first off, that game yesterday was really entertaining. It gets off right off the bat with Paul Pierce talking trash, the GM talking trash to the fans again, so this is going to be a fun (laughs) series right off the bat, off the court as well. 
I had I had released all my uh, picks on my Facebook profile, so I did pick all my ser- these series before they started. Even though we're doing the podcast a little afterwards here, and I, I'm confident in the Wizards. I, I picked them preseason to be the team that would give the Cavs the most trouble, and I think that they're starting to get it together at the right time. They're a team that has a really strong post with Nene and Gortat. I think that's going to be a key matchup. Can Valanciunas handle them down low because they can throw a couple bodies against him? The guard war is going to be great. Kyle Lowry versus John Wall. If you're a basketball fan, you got to love this matchup. Two of the premier point guards in the East going head-to-head. I picked the Wizards to win this this in six because I think that they will defend home floor. And the Wizards have turned into one of the best road playoff teams in the NBA. They've won so many road games last year. I didn't look up the stat. I should have. I think they beat the Bulls three times on the road. They won a couple from the Pacers. So, And they pulled one out in overtime yesterday. So they're up one nothing. I think the, I like the Wizards in this series, and I think that they will move on to the next round. Yeah, I... I like the Wizards as well. I think that the Raptors were just a really good continuation team from last year, as in they didn't have anything to get together. They didn't have much adversity through the season. And so they were just a really good regular season team and sat in that second seed spot for a while, whereas the Cavs, Wizards, and Bulls all went through some ups and downs and some growing pains. So I think those three teams have a much higher ceiling in terms of performance than the Raptors can. And for that reason, I think that the Wizards are going to be a much better playoff team than what we saw in the regular season. I think the style of play that they that they have, one of the more slower styles with two really big traditional post players down low, uh, a point guard that essentially has a very... His three-point shot is the worst part of his offensive game. So you just have like a really crowded post all of a sudden. I think that plays more into playoff basketball than it does regular season basketball. And so I'm agreeing with you. I'm picking the Wizards in six. I do think Randy Whitman and the sometimes confusing offensive play calls that he makes, as in like it's a clearly clearly a play is called, but you just wonder what exactly the objective of that play was. And I think that's going to be the downfall for them. But I think that they're physical and stronger than the Raptors, and they're going to beat them up enough to win in six. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, John Wall is a legitimate star, one of two players to average 10 assists per game in the regular season. He was number two, Chris Paul number one with 10.2. So, yeah, John Wall's awesome. Bradley Beal's another budding star, too. I think the X factor is going to be the combination of Paul Pierce and Otto Porter Jr. at that small forward. I think that's where Washington has a huge advantage. And I agree, Washington got off to a rough start because they missed Trevor Ariza last year. Last year, they were so good. Well, John Wall is so good at creating the corner three. And Paul Pierce is not necessarily, that's not necessarily his strength, and that's Trevor Ariza's yeah. strength. So I think that they struggled adjusting to that uh, free agent departure. I'm sure we'll be talking about Ariza a lot more in one of the other series here. But the Wizards went through some turmoil, and I agree. The Cavs went through some turmoil, the Bulls too. And so there was a lot of adversity to your traditional, the three teams that I thought would would run away with the East. And I think the Hawks and the Raptors capitalized off that because they didn't have as much as those other three teams. Though the Hawks certainly have run into some adversity with the Davocephalosha incident of late. But yeah, I agree. I I think that, that the Wizards are 
more playoff tested than the Raptors. I think the Wizards have a better team than the Raptors. And I think the Wizards will win this series. And I'm eager to talk about that second round series uh, whenever we do our second round preview podcast. Because if we get uh, Hawks-Wizards, I think that's going to be an interesting matchup as well. Yeah, well, if everything goes to plan, as we said, it'll be Hawks-Wizards, Cavs-Bulls. And I think those will be two really intriguing matchups. So we eventually will have a lot to talk about in the Eastern Conference if things work out the way they're they're trending. Yeah, it stinks when the three worst teams in the playoffs are all in the East. It doesn't make it for very intriguing, for intriguing uh, commentary. No, definitely not. But you got the the series you wanted. You wanted Rockets-Mavericks when we did our NBA end-of-the-season races podcast and broke down who's going to get what. You said you wanted the Rockets or the Spurs to play the Mavericks in the first round. And I think you particularly wanted the Rockets because of that little juicy rivalry. Those teams, front offices don't like each other. There's not much love between them. And I agree. I think this is going to be a real fun series. It's probably... It's hard to say it's a series of the first round because there there's another really good one that we're going to talk about too, but it's it's definitely one of the two best series of the first round and, and certainly has a lot of intrigue to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm happy this worked out the way it did, even though I said it wasn't going to be. Um, but watching that game, I mean, the first quarter, I thought that the Mavs were like, this wasn't going to be the series that we thought it would be. Thankfully, they came back and, and had a, sec- a round in the second quarter and kind of made it a game. But yeah, it's going to be chippy. The Daryl Morey, Mark Cuban rivalry, I think is great. The The balls of Daryl Morey to call up the front office after they signed Dwight Harden and ask if Dwight or if Dirk Nowitzki is available is like one of the best stories I've ever heard. And just how angry that made the Mavericks organization and everything they've done since then just to screw the Rockets over is hilarious. I love it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I hope this game, this series goes to seven. I think it will because the Mavs, uh, they've had some struggles since adding Rajon Rondo and Monta Ellis seems to finally taking off the mask of a reformed player and reverting back to the great player but just not a good winner (laughs) mode that we've known him to be and so they've had some trouble kind of gelling and 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 being this really efficient team that we saw them be in the second half of the season last year they were crazy efficient offensively last year but I think they're gonna get together Chandler Tyson Chandler down low with Dirk Nowitzki that's a good combo Chandler certainly can hold his own against Dwight Howard um, it's going to be a good matchup. I think ultimately Houston's more talented with Harden running the show. Josh Smith kind of reformed to a new man. And then Dwight Howard down low, as I just said. I think they're going to win in seven. I agree. The Rockets are going to win in seven. And I think Dwight Howard is the key to this series, not only for this series, but I think he is he's going to determine whether or not the Rockets win the NBA championship or not. All due respect to James Harden. But... You mentioned that swing of quarters. In the first quarter, the Rockets looked like they were just going to take the Mavericks to town and destroy them. And I'm like, wow, I completely misread this series. This is probably going to be a sweep. Well, then in the second quarter, the Mavericks came back, and Dwight Howard was not on the floor as much. The Mavericks made a run every time Howard went out of the game. And Howard, I think, is going to be 
the biggest factor in this series. I think as he goes, the Rockets will go, especially in this series, because they can throw a lot of bodies at him. The Mavericks can. I think Dwight Howard's just going to be absolutely critical based on what I saw last or yesterday, just, just how Dallas, every time Dallas made a run, Dwight Howard was on the bench. The other factor I think is going to be depth, and that certainly favors the Rockets. Trevor Ariza, Corey Brewer, who has been just an awesome X factor for the Rockets all year. He's finally turned into the player that we saw in Florida. I thought when he came out of Florida after those two national titles, he was going to be awesome. I, I said at one point he was going to be the best player on that team, and it hasn't quite worked out because Al Horford and Joe Kim Noah have been outstanding. But they, they also got Jason Terry, Josh Smith, and just a whole bunch of depth, and I think that that's going to be the deciding factor. I think it's going seven because I think the Rockets, I mean, not the Rockets, the Mavericks have the second-best coach in the NBA right now with Rick Carlisle. He's the second-best coach. I take him over anyone except Greg Popovich. I don't think he gets enough credit. I think him and this savvy veteran group will make it a seven-game series, will challenge Houston, but will ultimately fall because game seven will be in Houston. Yeah, definitely. Don't forget Chandler Parsons too, man. He's coming back. That's a good storyline. Yeah, for sure. That that matchup and the way the Mavs just kind of not only stole him from the Rockets, but also forced their hand in the Chris Bosh offer and the tender they gave Chandler Parsons. It it's amazing. Like the off the off court drama between these two teams. I love it. The hate is real, and so it wasn't as chippy as I thought it would be that first game, but. I think we'll definitely see something, especially when it goes into Dallas. I think they are a little more aggressive <laughs> in their hate. So oh, I think we'll give see some it time. Seven games breeds a lot of hate. If this thing goes seven, you're going to see something. You're going to see something. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on, we said I said earlier that that series, arguably, I think in any other year, would be the number one series. But we've got a Western Conference Finals matchup in the first round. This is what I didn't want to happen. Thanks, Indiana. I wanted Indiana to beat Memphis. So that way the Pacers would face the Hawks. Because I would have loved to see that series. That would have been the most intriguing one if it had materialized. But more importantly, it would have broken up this Clippers-Spurs thing. And the other one we're going to talk about, the Blazers-Grizzlies. But the Clippers and the Spurs, I think these two teams could have met in the conference finals. I think this is going to be a great series. Bob, what do you think the keys are going to be? Uh, the keys are going to be contribu- contributions from anybody not named Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan on that Clippers roster. I mean, this essentially is the same Clippers team we've seen in the last three years. And that means they're rolling out a wing combination of J.J. Redick, Matt Barnes, and Jamal Crawford in some kind of combination and that just doesn't isn't inspiring on a championship team I think Blake DeAndre and Chris Paul are great but they need more they need more help and they're facing a team that is so deep and so good and knows how to win they have the best coach in basketball as you said in Greg Popovich and they have Kawhi Leonard who is the biggest x factor by the fact that he's better than anybody else on that Spurs team right now and that's crazy to say considering there's Parker Ginobili and Duncan on that team but he is he's he is now the star of that team and he's gonna I I think he's gonna tear up the Clippers I think the Spurs are gonna actually handle this team pretty regularly in six games 
Yeah, I think the big matchup is Leonard versus Griffin. I think Blake Griffin's going to have to really come to play on both sides of the floor. I, I think that you know, Kawhi Leonard can guard almost anyone in the NBA right now. He's certainly a contender for defensive player in the year. He's certainly the most important player on the Spurs because when they turned it around in the second half, he's, he was the reason he came back and started playing at a high level. So I agree with you there. However, I might end up really, really regretting what I'm about to say here, but I'm picking the Clippers in seven. I think home court's going to be big. I think the Clippers have been a little disrespected all year long. I think they've flown under the radar. They've had a fantastic season. I think the Clippers with Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and some of these other guys are going to get it done this year and pull what a lot of people are going to consider an upset. Because I think people think that even though the Spurs are the sixth seed, they're the better team. But I think they're going to do it. I think Doc Rivers is a fine coach as well, certainly top five. I think the Clippers, don't ask me why, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to win in seven games. I mean, I I certainly could see that happening. I think if the Clippers do win, it would have to be in seven. They just have to hold home court. I mean, yeah, they've been disrespected just because we, at this point, expect more from this team. And we've been waiting for this team to win a title, to be competitive, to get to a finals even, and they just haven't. So I think most people are just kind of have moved on from them. And yeah, that team is still intact, like I said, but... It's not really inspiring considering their past history in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you, but I also think that them they 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 they're being sort of judged on a harder curve because they play in such a tough conference that losing in the second round in the West is not the same as losing in the second round in the East if that makes sense. No, yeah, that does make sense. I certainly think that they've run into some pretty epic buzzsaws over the last couple of years because the Thunder and the Spurs, and there's just been so many great teams out West. And then this year, it's a bloodbath too. I mean, you're talking about the Clippers and the Spurs in the first round. I think both of these teams could have made it to the conference final. It's a shame one of them's going to have to go home in this early age of the tournament, especially when you look over at the East and you see teams like Toronto and Washington getting the play on. I, I, I feel bad for whoever loses this series, but unfortunately, one of these two teams is going to be bounced. Yeah, certainly. I do feel bad for either of them, but I, I just don't believe in the Clippers. I don't believe in that roster and the Spurs. I mean, how can you not believe in them and what they've done the last two years in the playoffs? Oh, not just the last two years, more like the last like 15 years. I mean, the Spurs have been... Well, this roster as it is... Oh, yeah, I agree with you too. Yeah, they've been... The currently constructed. Right, back-to-back NBA Finals, and they've been in the Western Conference Finals, I think, three straight years, and or three out of four years, and I mean, they're just, they're an awesome franchise, they're an awesome team, they have a ton of X-Factors, they're deep, yeah, I mean, there's every reason in the world to pick the Spurs, but I just think the Clippers are going to do it, I think they're going to get it done this year. All right, I'm glad we we disagree on something on this podcast, it's been a while, I think, I really think that this would be the last season that we see this Clippers team together, I think if it doesn't work out, there's going to be some changes yeah, the Clippers are in tough in a tough situation because they have the star power. They just got to get the right role players around them. I think they need to make some savvy moves like Cleveland and Houston did to solidify that depth because it's so tough to build a winner in the NBA. You need the right mix of star power and good role players. I think the Clippers need to upgrade in the role player department a little bit. Yeah, I think they also have an interesting decision to make with DeAndre Jordan entering free agency. 
Oh, of course. Yes, that too. But so, yeah, we have one more matchup to talk about. And I think both of these teams kind of limped into the playoffs. I mean, Portland literally limped in. I mean, they they lost a lot of people due to injury. Wes Matthews stands out uh, being the biggest loss. And then Memphis just kind of lost their mojo halfway through the season. It's weird that adding Jeff Green might have hurt them in the long run, even though that's like what everyone thought that they needed at the time. But I think it's still an intriguing matchup, two teams that are definitely good enough to win this matchup. Who do you like? Well, yeah, it's certainly an intriguing matchup. It's one I didn't want to materialize because I really wanted these two teams to face the Clippers and the Spurs separately so that way we get a better second round. But I I agree. I think it's a very intriguing matchup. I think both of these teams kind of limped. Portland's going to be a what-if story. If they were 100%, they'd be right there with these other Western Conference heavyweights vying to legitimately win the NBA title. But I think the Portland Trailblazers can win this series. But I'm focusing in on this uh, backcourt matchup right now. You got Mike Conley and Courtney Lee and Vince Carter versus Damian Lillard, Aaron Aflalo, and Steve Blake. I think that's going to be key. I think inside as well is going to be pretty key too. I mean, you got Marcus All, Zach Randolph, Robin Lopez versus Marcus Aldridge. I know I just said backcourt and frontcourt, so I just said the whole team is going to be a good <laughs> Anyone matchup. but small forward. <laughs> right, anyone but the small forward. So, I, yeah, congratulations. Groundbreaking analysis there, Chris. But, no, <laughs> I, I do think that these teams, they, they match up real well. I mean, there's all sorts of intrigue. But for me, the difference is going to be can Damian Lillard do what he did last year? Last year, I think people wrote off the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard turned into a killer in the playoffs and he just murdered the Rockets in what was an extremely entertaining series. If he, if he's, if he has that sort of uh, playoff DNA in him, I don't think the Grizzlies can stop him. And that's one of the reasons I'm picking the Blazers in six games. All right. Well, I'm going to argue for Memphis in seven just because, like I said, with the Wizards, their style of play, I think Memphis's style of play fits in a lot better in playoff basketball time. Zebo has had an up-and-down year at power forward, but I think he is perfectly suited to harass LaMarcus Aldridge, and then you got Marcus Saul helping down low and, and corralling what is a, one of the best power forwards in the game right now. I think that's a really key matchup. Can you slow down LaMarcus Aldridge? Can you slap him on the thumbs enough time <laughs> to to bother him? And then Mike Conley is, I think, the the series will go as he's gone. You know, I ever since I named him as one of my top five point guards this year, he's been really bad. And it's, it's really a tale of two seasons for him. The first half, he was, you know, an all-star snub. The second half, he's in a slump, and he really hasn't gotten out of that funk. If he can bring his A game, which is a really good perimeter defender with some good offensive creation, uh, I think Memphis will be in a good spot. But if he plays the same way he's played the last couple months, Damian Lillard's just going to have a feast, and he's going to carve him up. Yes, certainly. I think Mike Conley is going to play an exceptional role in this series because he's going to have to guard Damian Lillard, and if he can't contain him, it's lights out. So I, I agree with you there. Mike Conley is going to have to bring it pre-All-Star game, pre-Bobby curse before you curse yeah, let's, him. Well, let's not talk about curses on the podcast, Chris. Why not? Uh, I'm talking about your World Series prediction. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Come on, man. We're only two weeks in. 
We're only two weeks in. <laughs> That's a very long series. That's a very long season in baseball. It's all good. Yep. And Sports Illustrated beat me to it, so. Ha. Oh, yeah, that's true. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Bigger fish to fry than my brother. Certainly. But, no, I think I, I think it'll be an entertaining series. Even though I don't think either of these teams will make it out of the West, I think both of them match up very well. I think that there's intrigue in the post, intrigue on the perimeter, and I think the combination of Aldridge and Lillard is one of the more underrated combinations in the NBA right now. I also think Portland's going to play with a little desperation because they also have some off-season issues coming up with a lot of contracts expiring. Pretty sure Aldridge is one of them. And so, yeah, I think there there might be a little added edge for the Blazers to really kind of make something of this team because we may never see it again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could say the same thing for Memphis. Marc Gasol is also unrestricted this year, so... Yeah, the, this this could be, I mean, the, the Western Conference is pretty much the same as we've seen it the past couple of years. This could be the last time we see this group of teams in the playoffs. I mean, we already have the newcomers in New Orleans, but these other seven, you know, they're perennial rosters that have, have been in the playoffs the past few years, and now they all really have some big decision-making to make. Oh, certainly. Sooner or later, the Mavericks and the Spurs are going to get old enough that they'll have to get rid of some of these superstars that they've had forever, like Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, and Parker and Ginobili. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, change is on the horizon for the West, and maybe it'll shift back towards the East and even out. But right now, it's it's going to be a bloodbath out West. I'm very excited for th- this. Is the Western Conference first round over the last couple of years has been pretty compelling, just because of the depth of the league. The East, not so yeah. much. But I, I think no matter what happens, once you get to the second round of the playoffs, it's it's all intriguing because then things really start to fly. Yeah, certainly. I mean, last year, only one game went to six games in the West. The rest were seven-game series. So hopefully we get something like that. It's always fun to watch. Right, right. So regular season is over. The dust is settled. We have the playoff bracket. But the awards are going to be handed out here soon. So Bob and I have taken the liberty of uh, trying to petition the NBA as to who we think is going to win and maybe save them some time and just hand them out there. (laughs) We've got some tough ones, though. These are some very competitive. I think this is one of the most competitive award series that we've had in a while, just top to bottom. But let's start with the least competitive one. I think it's pretty clear Andrew Wiggins is going to win Rookie of the Year. Uh okay. <laughs> See, uh, I have Nikola Mirotic as my rookie of the year. Really? But I agree. I agree with you. Andrew Wiggins is is gonna run away with this award. But it seems strange to me that, and I understand it. I guess that the rookie of the year standards, um, the the MVP standards don't apply to the rookie of the year standards, and it's it's weird to me that a guy who if Miritic played a full excuse me um 48 minutes if you, if you extended out his 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 time he would have he would lead all rookies in scoring and he only plays 19 minutes a game that's that's the reason why his stats are so low and then if you look at the second half he led he was only he was fifth in fourth quarter scoring behind Oh, I'm sorry, fourth behind Westbrook, Stephen Curry, and LeBron James. And then I got one more stat for you. 
he has 0.162 win shares per 48 minutes. That's not totally impressive, but there have only been five other rookie of the years that have won that, and that's David Robinson, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Chris Paul, and Shaquille O'Neal. So I know what you're going to say. Like It's all about numbers and the talent, and Andrew Wiggins is going to win this award, and you could definitely make the argument for him to win it. But Nikola Mirotic, what he's done in the second half, what he's shown, I think, and also by virtue of playing on a competitive team and competing and fighting for his minutes and his shots, I think he deserves consideration, and I, I would give him the award. Well, I certainly agree that the MVP standards don't and shouldn't apply to these other awards because of the word valuable. You're not assessing value in these other awards, and I think that the fact that it's the most valuable player, that kind of adds another twist to the logic in determining MVP. But I do agree with you. The standards don't. There are different standards. You can't have rookies of the year, and you routinely have rookies of the year who are on non-playoff teams. But I think 16.9 points led all rookies. That's a significant uh, jump. I agree with you. If Mirchek had played more minutes, he probably would be up there with him. I also agree that if Jabari Parker had been healthy the whole year, that would have been an interesting fight as well. It's a shame he got hurt. And the big thing for me is Wiggins did play all 82 games, not to take anything away from anyone else, but I think that that's a big step. He played every game, full season, night in, night out, and still came into the league as the number one draft pick. And I think that when you have that kind of hype as the number one overall pick, as opposed to a guy who quietly, stealthily came over after seasoning in Europe a few years, it plays into it. And, and I think Wiggins deserves it. I'm not saying Mirochik isn't a good candidate, but I actually have Nerlens Noel ahead of him. Noel, number eight in the league in blocks and number nine in steals. He also averaged 9.9 points. Very strong season from Noel, especially since he came back from an ACL injury that caused him to miss his true rookie year. I think he had a very strong, very quiet year. All three of them would be deserving, though. If, if any one of them got the award, I wouldn't really complain Though I do think Wiggins and Noel, I would vote for them ahead of Mirochik, and I would give it to Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I mean, Nerlens Noel, those stats are good, and they're really reflective of his second half, which was a lot better than his first half. Right. And, yeah, I agree with you. By the standards of who we've voted as Rookie of the Year in the past, it's going to be Andrew Wiggins. But Nikola Mirotic, take a look at the numbers. He really has had as good or as better a rookie season than any of the other rookies. So wanted to give him some credit in my voting. That's why we're not voting. That's why we don't have votes, I guess. Hey man, it's the sabermetrics era. You don't, don't just write it off, man. I've heard, I've heard talk of Mirachik. It could happen. I would give, I would give it to Wiggins. I think it's going to go to Wiggins, but it could happen. Yeah. And he's definitely going to finish in the top three, I think. Oh yeah. But I mean, there are really only three rookies as far as I'm concerned, who deserve consideration. Yeah. But well, anyway. Alfred Payton's had to... All right, continue. Oh, no, it's all <laughs> Let's good. Move to, anyway, though, most improved. Who you got for most improved? Most improved, I'm going with Rudy Gobert, the Stifle Tower. Nice. Uh, drafted, he's only in his second year, but he was the 27th overall pick in 2013. Uh, he was drafted by the Nuggets, and they didn't even want him. They traded him to the Jazz during draft day. And he's just has made an incredible leap in his second year. He's now being regarded as the best young defensive center in in the game. And the combination of him and Derek Favors down low for the Jazz give the best defensive power forward and center combination in the league. 
And, and so I'm giving it to him. He's just kind of come out of nowhere and is put in the league on notice and has uh, taken it by storm. Hey, I didn't expect you to say that because he wasn't even on my list. So kudos to you, but I like the pick. The, the popular picks that are being thrown out there are Jimmy Butler, deserving, certainly. Draymond Green, yeah. deserving, certainly. I heard Clay Thompson, too. I don't know about that. But for me, how can you not give it to Hassan Whiteside? Who heard of this guy before this year? He was averaging 1.6 points, 2.2 rebounds, 0.8 blocks on 44.4% shooting in 2014. 2015, one of 12 guys to average a double-double at 11.8 points, 10.0 rebounds. He was second in the league in blocks with 2.6 per game. He shot 62.8% from the field, had 22 double-doubles, only 30 players had 20 or more, and a monster triple-double versus Chicago. If that's not most improved, I honestly don't know what is. The guy had a phenomenal year. He was sixth in the league in PER, that's player efficiency rating, with a 26.26. The dude just came out of nowhere and really just took the league by storm. I would give it to Whiteside if I'm handing out the award. It's a definitely deserving pick, especially the the discrepancy in stats from one year before and the year after. I think the reason he's not going to get it is he didn't play in the NBA for the first two and a half months, I think. I don't think he signed with the Heat until uh December. Yeah, January. I think it was December. I think his first game or one of his first games was that triple gu- double against Chicago back, I think, in December. It was early in the year. But yeah. No, I mean, I, I certainly, like, I don't know what the criteria are for it. So I, I'm not I think sure. Could, I think the field is full of most improved players. And it just depends on what, what statistic or what factors you're looking at whether it's on a successful team i mean clay thompson certainly has improved this year from good player to to star player and you could certainly make the argument that he's the most improved player but hassan whiteside rudy gobert jimmy butler they've all improved in in different ways and so i think it it just depends what you're looking for right and for me i think whiteside just went from a guy that was just on his way out of the nba to one of the stars at least this year in the NBA. And so I, I just think that that's by far the biggest improvement. But you're right, this award's the toughest one because there's so many guys who improve from year to year. It's It really just depends on what the voters decides the most improved. Yep, so we'll probably both be wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I actually think the voters are going to vote Jimmy Butler because he was on a high-profile team, which, uh, again, very deserving. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but... You know, we'll see. Uh, it could be anyone. Yeah, for sure. However, who do you got for sixth man of the year? Uh, I, well, I just watched this guy play, and he was definitely the best player on that team. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, he was the sixth man for two teams this year with the Phoenix Suns and the Boston Celtics. Uh, since he got traded to the Celtics, he averaged 19 points and 5.4 assists, all coming off the bench. The dude's 5'9", like... I have much respect for anybody that is below six feet and can do that kind of basketball play in the NBA. I think he's definitely deserving a six man. He's the definition of instant offense. Uh, yeah, Isaiah Thomas. Very deserving pick, and I think you've got it right. I think the voters are going to choose him, and he makes guys like me and probably you feel bad because we're both over six feet and we can't dribble a basketball, so it's not cool. Well, no, I can yeah. dribble a basketball, <laughs> but 
not very good at playing the game of basketball. Anyway, I also watched my choice for Sixth Man of the Year play today, and his name's Tristan Thompson. Yes, he averaged 8.5 points and 8 rebounds, but that's not the key stat. Last year, he started all 82 games and had 269 offensive rebounds. This year, played in all 82 games with 15 starts, 274 offensive rebounds, 5th in the league in offensive rebounds with 3.3. And not only that, the guy was, as I mentioned, started all 82 games, but how many guys, it just, it brings me great joy to see a guy say, hey, you know what? I could do something really special if I just embrace coming off the bench. How many guys do you see just say, I don't want to be a bench player. I want to be a starter. Tristan Thompson from day one saw a chance to do something special with the Cleveland Cavaliers, win a championship, play for a contract, all because he had LeBron James and Kevin Love and and all these guys come in. And he bought into coming off the bench and was a huge, arguably one of the biggest players on the Cavs. This year, one of the big reasons that they're a title contender, I think Tristan Thompson's game has improved to levels that I never thought I'd see. And so I certainly think that that he should deserve more consideration for sixth man than he's getting. But I agree with you. I think Isaiah Thomas will ultimately win it. My choice would be Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I think Thompson deserves to be in the conversation. I just don't think he has the typical numbers that you look for in a sixth man. It's definitely trends toward the spark plug offensive player that comes off the bench and puts up tons of points and so I think it's either going to be Isaiah Thomas or Lewis Williams for the Raptors oh bottom line if you want to win any of these awards score a lot of points I think if you score a lot of points the buckets I mean look at look at rookie of the year too so I think you know points are obviously very important but if you want to win this next award you might not want to give up a lot of points because defensive player of the year it's kind of critical that you don't get burned too much who do you got for DPOI? <laughs> uh, I talked about him earlier. I'm going with Kawhi Leonard. He leads the league in steals per game at 2.3, and he has is leading the league in defensive rating at 96.4. And if you look at the top five, it's got guys like Andrew Bogut, Tim Duncan, Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert. So he's leading the league in a rating that's really reserved for centers and power forwards and he's doing that at, as a small forward um i think he doesn't get the rebounds and blocks that you usually see in the defensive player of the year but he's just he takes over a game with his defense and he really plays like he plays defense like lebron james did probably five years ago in the way that he just is all over the court and i mean lebron can still do it in spurts but Kawhi leonard is is the best wing defender in the league right now and I think he deserves it I think this is going to be one of the most competitive awards because first off I think Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard are both exceptionally deserving of the award I think that you need statistics like that that measure guarding guys best player on a nightly basis because those things don't show up in the stat book I think Leonard and Green have done an exceptional job of doing that all year long however I kind of think Anthony Davis's supreme season is going to be recognized in these awards somehow. Fair or unfair, I do think he is deserving of Defensive Player of the Year. He did lead the league in blocks at 2.94, also eighth in rebounds and 10.2. One of those guy, ten guys who averaged a du- or twelve guys who averaged a double double, ten who did it with points and rebounds. He had an MVP season, but probably won't win MVP. 
I think that the voters are going to make up call this and give him Defensive Player of the Year because his PER of 30.89 is a historic season. And so I kind of think that that's going to play into effect. But honestly, if Green or Leonard won this award, I would not have any problems with it. I think this is, going to, this is one of the most competitive categories. It's going to be tough for whoever doesn't win the award. And it's going to stink if Anthony Davis has this great season and gets nothing out of it. But I, I kind of think that's where this is going to go. We'll see. But to Kawhi Leonard, he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. When he came out of college, I said the Cavs should take Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard 1-4. and four, And I said that Kawhi Leonard was the second best player in this draft. I think that... He has proven that to be right, even though there are some other guys in that draft who may have something to say about that. I'm not totally disappointed with Tristan Thompson, of course. He's certainly one of the five best players in that draft. But I liked Kawhi Leonard ever since he was coming out of college. I thought he was going to be awesome. He landed in the perfect spot, and now he's turning into a superstar. So if Leonard were to win the award, I'd have no problem with it. And Draymond Green, too. I thought Draymond Green fell way too far in the draft. And he was extremely underrated. He was great at Michigan State. So all these guys, I think whoever wins this award is certainly deserving of it. Yeah, definitely. I think Leonard and, and Draymond Green is the the sign of the evolution of the league in that you want your small forward or power forward to be able to guard essentially all five positions. And I think that's what you're going to see guys looking for now. But So you said you think Davis is going to win it. Who do you want to win it? Who do I want to win it? I picked Anthony Davis. I kind of want him to win it because I kind of want him to get some recognition. Maybe they'll give him most improved just to kind of give him something. I just... Well, he'll be be first team all NBA and first team all defense probably. Probably, but I just can't fathom him not coming away with a big award after the season he had. I just think that it's kind of wrong on some levels that that he's not going to get anything if... I mean, I know those team awards aren't, aren't... you know anything to scoff at but I don't know I just I feel like he's gonna win it but if if I had to pick one like who I want to win it I'd probably go Kawhi Leonard because I like Kawhi Leonard cool <laughs> glad you agree with me right anyway who do you think is gonna win uh coach of the year um I think it's a, a two well first of all coach of the year should always be given to Greg Popovich because again he's done an amazing job kind of treading water and then shooting for the lead and it's crazy how good and well oiled that machine is but it's a two pony pony race between Mark Budenholzer and Steve Kerr and I'm going with Budenholzer just on the fact that you just talked about how Anthony Davis you want him to come away with some kind of award I was trying to think like where I would rank if I had to make a complete list of MVP voting and just like keep writing names until I got to an Atlanta Hawk. And I think I would write at least 10 players down until I got to an MVP candidate. And I would name two Golden State Warriors before that and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. I think Budenholzer, what he's done is completely San Antonio Spurs like and created a culture and a team that has improved their win total by 22 games is first in the East and they've done it without a superstar, without probably a, be- a top 15 player in the league. And I think that's really impressive and deserves as much recognition as we have recognized Greg Popovich in the past. I agree 100%. I really want Bolton Holzer to win this award. I think he's done a fantastic job. Uh, my midseason award went to Jason Kidd because I thought he 
drastically overachieved with the Bucks. They faded down the stretch. I think he deserves to be mentioned, but a he distant does. third now. I think Budenholzer, 22-win improvement. 38 wins to 60. The Hawks had been, for the last seven years, a just zombie team, second-round fodder. Now they're a legitimate chance to get to the conference final. They've played fantastic. And you said you could name 10 guys. I could probably name 15 to 20 guys before I get to an MVP candidate on the Hawks. And yeah, for sure. I, I, agree. I don't think it's anything like the San Antonio Spurs because everyone gives Popovich all this credit. And, and I, I agree the style of play is similar, but Popovich has superstars. I'd name two guys on the Spurs for MVP before I'd get to a Hawks guy. He, he has turned this team around. He is, it, It's been an amazing improvement. But let's also tip our caps to Steve Kerr because a 67-win season, still a 16-win improvement, is very impressive too for a rookie head coach. And let's not underestimate him deciding to start Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green over high-priced free agents like Andre Iguodala and David Lee, convincing those guys to come off the bench. That's not an easy thing, especially for a rookie coach to do. I think those moves, those decisions need to sort of be recognized and factored in here. But I just think Budenholzer did a tremendous job in Atlanta. I don't think anyone saw the Hawks winning the East the way they did. And I think he will win the award, and I think he should win the award. There's no disrespect to Steve Kerr because, again, this is another very competitive category. Yeah, definitely. I hope he wins it because... Yeah, I well everything I just said. I don't know why <laughs> I was about to say. I was about to say my whole spiel again. I just got one more point to make because I saw a yeah. coach of the year ballot by someone that had you know the, the big three: Boonholzer, Kerr, Popovich. But then there his other two was Brad Stevens and Frank Vogel. I'm sorry, David Blatt did a better job than both of those guys. David Blatt is getting no love for having to learn on the fly, manage egos on the fly completely so i mean he did a fantastic job no one's giving david blatt any credit for anything related to the cleveland cavaliers i just think that's wrong because at the same i know lebron james is the biggest reason i'm not saying you should win coach of the year but blatt deserves more credit for keeping this team together as it was falling apart in january help integrating these new trades into the mix they didn't have their full team as presently constructed until around the all-star break and he had the you know, coach with all those expectations in his rookie year, with manage all the the egos, try to get Kevin Love to buy into a completely new role. Blatt deserved more love than than some of those guys, and I'm not saying they didn't do a good job. But whenever you have a losing record, eh, no, you're not coach of the year. Yeah, I I mean I agree with you, but I think David Blatt's job was more than just coaching. It was chemistry managing, babysitting, ego managing, like you said. I think. That's why some people. Oh no, I'm not saying he should win. I'm not saying he should win, but I think he should be one of the five candidates. I think he should be fourth and fifth on the list ahead of Brad Stevens and Frank Vogel. I mean, come on, man, it's just ridiculous. Well, honestly, I would I would have Jason Kidd third, and then I'll put Brad Stevens fourth, just because of what that roster has gone through this year and the run that they went on to to close off the the season i think they were 30 and 11 for the second best record in the eastern conference after the all-star break i think that's really impressive considering that the roster was gutted uh essentially early on i mean they traded away rajon rondo and jeff green um this is actually getting into my executive of the year because i know the the hot pick is david griffin but i'm actually going for danny ainge because he traded away those two guys rajon rondo and jeff green um, 
he sold high on both of them. I don't think you, he would have gotten the the ransom that he got for Rajon Rondo if he waited to the trade deadline. I think he, he sold high and at a good time when the Mavs were a little desperate. Then he traded Jeff Greenaway at a good time, and then he added Isaiah Thomas. And now they have a playoff team with a really good offensive spark plug, some good young guys, and they have a King's ransom worth of draft picks to be spent in the future. So I think he's done a really good job and he deserves some credit. Uh, David Griffin is certainly deserving, though. I think I'm guessing that's where you're going with exec of the year. Oh, yeah, that's where I'm going with it. First off, I think the Kevin Love trade was a huge win. He almost averaged a double-double. He had 9.7 rebounds, but still he was 12th in the league in rebounding. And you got to give him all the credit in the world for getting that deal done. But the deals I think that will win it for him, he traded Dion Waiters and two super-protected first-round picks, which, by the way, I don't think will either of them will materialize this year. For Timothy Mozgov, Iman Shumpert, and J.R. Smith. That was an unbelievable deal. He turned Deion Waiters in two draft picks, two low draft picks. The Thunder one definitely won't materialize. I'm I, I fuzzy on the Memphis one. The restrictions on that one are ridiculous. But Mozgov, Shumpert, and Smith, Kevin Love brings all those guys in. LeBron James returned. I don't think he had too much to do with that, but he still returned. I think he did a fantastic job. Took the Cavs from a perennial lottery team to number two in the East, favorite to win the title. I actually would think that Daryl Morey would get more consideration too. All the moves he made, bringing in Trevor Ariza, Corey Brewer, Jason Terry, Josh Smith, and all those guys to add their depth as well. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he won it. And you're right. I think Ainge deserves consideration as well too. I'm not. I'm not saying that he doesn't, but I think those are the two in my book, and I would go with Griffin. Yeah, definitely. I think. You said Griffin didn't doesn't get any credit for bringing LeBron back, but he had to make a lot of moves to to make room for LeBron and Kevin Love coming to the team. So that's very true, and it wasn't easy to do. He had to dump some bad contracts like Jared Jack, and I think he had to give away Tyler Zeller to Boston for nothing. He just had to give him away, and I know he didn't want to do that because he was a talented seven footer. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure he gave away Zeller in a draft pick to Boston, which, again, plays into my Danny Age pick. Um, yeah, Daryl Morey certainly deserves some consideration, but I think the the fact that that Rockets team was successful last year before the moves and had just as a successful season this year, there's not like that much quantifiable improvement over the team. So I don't. I think he probably won't win. I think it's it's definitely David Griffin's David Griffin's uh, award to lose. Flip Saunders, though, did make a nice little trade with the Cavs. He got a good deal. No, certainly. I think he got a good deal. But, I mean, I think Griffin got a better deal than Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love's the better player right now. But Oh, cer- certainly right now, yeah. But Anyway, the, the final award. We've packed a lot into this podcast, but it's the one you've all been waiting for. The MVP race, which is probably one of the most competitive MVP races that I can remember. Certainly... A lot of deserving candidates out there. Bob, we'll start with you. Who do you think is going to win? Who, who, who are you going to pick to win? Okay, so me picking to win and picking who I sh- think should win are two different things. I think it's Steph Curry's award to lose at this point. I think all signs point to him winning it, just the, the conversations and that. He's the best offensive efficient player on the on in the league this season. Um, his per he sat over 17 games in the fourth quarter and that has resulted in his 
scoring totals being a little bit lower than the rest of the MVP candidates. But if he played, if he had to play those four, those fourth quarters, they would be right up there with him next to James Harden and, and LeBron. Um, if I had to vote though, I would vote for Anthony Davis, man. He willed his team into the playoffs in the eighth seed. Like you said, he's got a 30 PER, 24 points, over 10 rebounds, leads the league in blocks. Like what more do you want from an MVP candidate? Took a really bad team into the playoffs in the Western Conference. I mean, 44 wins is really good. Uh, but we talked about this before. That's not what you look for in an MVP candidate. Hey, you have to at least win 50 games and you have to have a high seating in the playoffs. So it's going to be Steph Curry. If I had to vote, though, I would pick James Harden over Steph. I think he's done more with less, especially with Dwight Howard being out, especially, and he was out from, for most of the stretch run, and he kept his team essentially in the same position that they, that they were when Dwight went down, and it's all because of James Harden, 27 points per game. Uh, he shoots a ridiculous amount of free throw attempts, 10 per game. Uh, it's it's his team uh, seven assists as well like that's really impressive from a guy who has a has a shooter's rep so I would pick James Harden because Anthony Davis is disqualified but it's going to go to Steph Curry if that answers your question right I think Anthony Davis had the best season of anyone but this is not a best season award this is the most valuable award and you are absolutely right I dropped the stat bomb earlier you have to finish third in your conference essentially to win it because I don't think any they, they, you go back the last team to finish a true three seed to win it was Michael Jordan in 88. So it's very tough to win it if your team's not in the top three. Curry and Harden both have that to their resume being first and second. Though I do think in the West this year with how the crazy seeding went out, I think there might have been an exception if Houston had fallen to sixth. I don't think James Harden will win it. I wouldn't be surprised if he won it. I think Steph Curry will win it. I agree with you. I think he deserves to win it too. You take your team to 67 wins. You're the focal point of that team. What more do you want from a guy? You can't You can't blame him that his guys didn't get hurt. I know that James Harden was important, a little more important because Dwight Howard got hurt. But Houston, I think, is the deepest team in the NBA. He wasn't just out there on a wire. I think Curry should win it. I think he will win it. I would love it if Anthony Davis won the award because I think he had the best season, but I don't think he will. And honestly, if you limp into the playoffs as the eighth seed, I, I kind of don't think you should either. I do think you have to have a really good record too. I'm one of those kind of traditionalists. So I think Steph Curry has earned it. I think he should win it. But one other guy, I talked about the Clippers earlier. Chris Paul deserves more love. 82 games played, 7th in PER, and he really held the Clippers together because that team had a seesaw season, Blake Griffin's injury, and was just very inconsistent. He was the only consistent spot, and they still finished third in the West. I think he deserves more credit than he's being given. He would be on my ballot of five along with LeBron James and the other three that we talked about. But I ultimately think Steph Curry will win the award. Cool. That's actually uh, Chris Paul's fifth on my ballot as well. Nice. Yeah, he... he, uh quietly had an MVP caliber season. I think it's just because there's Clipper fatigue. People are just kind of tired of that team being good, but not being the best. And I think that's why Chris Paul just kind of floated around and and had a really good, really good year. I'm actually really surprised you put Paul on your ballot, man. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that you put Paul on your ballot. Well, I mean, you have to make the playoffs to, to be, to 
at least gain consideration. Otherwise, I would put Russell Westbrook in place of Chris Paul. But but not um, Anthony Davis, because then Davis wouldn't have made the playoffs. I do think Davis would have been a big exception this year had he not made the playoffs, because his season was just so transcendent. Yeah, I could see it. I, th- I mean, I think Westbrook deserves some MVP votes, but... Um, yeah, you got to make the playoffs. I mean, 16 teams make the playoffs. There are 30 teams in the league. Like, you got to be in the top half. Oh, I agree with that. I certainly agree with that. But, all righty, man. We packed it into this podcast. It's a little bit of a supersized episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys stuck with it to the end. We saved that MVP little debate for the end there. So, hope you guys made it there. Next week, uh, it's going to be NFL draft. We got that coming around. It'll be draft day minus Kevin Costner on what are you talking about? So be sure to come back for that. And we do have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. Since we are big-time Cleveland fans and you guys enjoyed our March Madness bonus edition so much, we are going to roll out some more bonus content. And starting next week with the Cleveland Browns preparing for the NFL draft again, it seems it's their Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl in Cleveland, yeah. Exactly. So we're going to be doing a Cleveland-focused podcast at the end of each month talking about the three Cleveland teams kicking it off with a little NFL draft coverage. I'm sure the Cavs will give us something to talk about as well for that podcast too. So it'll be a lot of NFL draft talk next week, and we'll be rolling out a regular bonus edition at the end of each month, focusing on the city of Cleveland. So all you Cleveland fans out there, we know we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who love Cleveland sports. We're listening. We're thinking of you with this one. So we hope you guys uh, continue to support FenleyRoadSports.com. Follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. And please continue to subscribe to our podcast and support us in every way. We thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week. All right. Talk to you soon, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.